Welcome to One Giant Podcast. Along with Andy Makowitz, I am Adam Armbrecht, once again coming to you after another Giants football game, talking all the news and notes from the game action and giving you our takes on what we saw on the field. Andy, we're going to dive into the Minnesota Vikings matchup here in a second, but this felt kind of like a have a beverage Sunday game for the Giants. What, what were you drinking today? Well, Adam, I couldn't drink very much today because my wife's due date was this past Friday. And so I'm on baby alert right now. And I wish I wasn't because I could have used a couple of cocktails during this game. Yeah. And now listen, I don't want to be preemptive about this sort of thing because I think it's always nice to give a bit of what I'll call the honeymoon phase. But this kid seems like it's really getting into your kind of cramping your style here. I don't I don't know what your policy is long term for this, but I just, you know, you may want to keep an eye on it. I mean, Sunday football, I can't have a couple of beers and, and root for the Giants. Instead, um, I'm drinking seltzers and, and tea. It, it's not a good start for, for baby Mac, I'll tell you that. And, and we could probably ask the same question of your lovely wife, Kelly, but I'm pretty sure her reaction will be a little bit harder-edged at this stage of the process. Let's go ahead and dive in, buddy. One Giant Reality. So the Giants host the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday at 1 o'clock at what I still, as Andy says, like to refer as the Meadowlands. And listen, net result is a 28-10 loss. Difficult game. This is one where the Giants struggled offensively to move the ball. And on defense, being on the field for long stretches of time, struggled to get off and be able to impact this Vikings offensive unit, which, of course, the passing game saw some life when they when they come to take on the Giants. Initial thoughts on this one, Andy? What were your takeaways when you as you sat there, I, I think, stewing in this one? My first takeaway was Kirk Cousins listened to all the criticism, criticism he got over the course of the week. Whether it was Stefan Diggs basically saying, I want out of this place. Get me out of here as soon as possible. I'm not going to practice. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to play to Adam Thielen basically being like, we've got to pass the ball to win, or we've got to pass it to players to win. Uh, They came out right away, and they made it a mission to get the ball out to their wide receivers. And, uh, you know, Adam, Adam Thielen was going nuts early, and he was looking for him early and often, and Dalvin Cook looked great. I, 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 I was worried right out of the gate. Yeah, this one was a bit of a, a, a gut check, I think, for, for the Giants as a football team and for Giants fans. You know, y- you said it. Actually, I didn't realize that the apology that Kirk Cousins gave to Thielen, it wasn't through the media. He gave he gave him a, an apology on his podcast while he was sitting there with him. So, I mean, like, I think Cousins really got the reality check for himself in this in this game of, Hey, I better keep these guys happy because they are they are the meal ticket from a quarterback standpoint. But Adam, you know what? It's such a Kirk Cousins thing to do to do it on his podcast instead of going over in the locker room and looking at Adam Thielen or Diggs and saying, "Guys, my bad. I got to get yeah, you the yeah. ball early and often." Instead, he he has said a hundred times before, "I don't even read what the media says. I don't listen to what they say." <laughs> and then right. he goes on his podcast and he says. I want to apologize to them. Like, what a ridiculous statement that is. 
It's the new wave of the NFL, man. I mean, this is, you know, people people are in tuned and in touch. And at the very least, yeah, I mean, I know Cousins is that. I, I, I can still only picture him as the guy when he was walking to the locker room on the Redskins, just screaming into, like, screaming at the camera as he, as he passed by. But listen, this is also a guy, as we talked about last podcast, you know, he has to come down to terms of that big contract is now actually hanging over his head in a lot of ways. So he needs to find a way to assert himself, find his receivers, and make it so that he is not the weak link in the chain on that team. And in this particular game, he wasn't. Wait, but Adam, so you're telling me that his apology on his own podcast out loud to Stefan Diggs doesn't make Diggs not want to be on the team anymore after he's had 30 less targets through the course of four games this year? Is that what you're saying? That's not, listen, it's not what I'm saying, but I guess, you know, the Vikings came out too and said, you can call about Diggs. He wasn't going anywhere. They weren't trading him. So, I, yeah, I, I, I think if you came to me and said, hey, Mia Copa, my friend, I, I didn't mean to trample your lines on last podcast – and you said it to me on the next podcast, I probably wouldn't take it nearly as to heart as if you had just mentioned it to me before we started recording. But like I said, you know, I, people are different cats, you know. I actually talked about this on my uh, with my other partner on our other podcast about, you know, how players are these days and what their perspectives are. And I think I'm trying to take a, a little bit of a softer approach to these things. So I'm not going to go too hard on it, even if I probably should. The biggest frustration for me is that Kirk Cousins played well this game. He played awesome. Yep. He was 22 of 27, 306, two touchdowns, and he wasn't just checking down the entire game. He looked at Adam Thielen and was targeting him exclusively and explicitly, and you know it showed. It, it, it was interesting to see Kirk Cousins kind of change up his normal check down Charlie and when it's third and 11, he's the guy that gets empty calorie five-yard catches, and it looks good on his completion percentage. I, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of like – I'm mad about the Giants losing, but I'm also mad that Kirk Cousins has an amazing stat line and he won. Is that, is that bad? No. What, what was the – I think we talked about this after the fact. I don't know if we mentioned it last week. What was the stat that you had given me about Kirk Cousins in games like this? So, so Kirk Cousins is five – and 27 against teams over 500 and that's why i said i wish the giants were three and one in sense of in, instead of two and two because man would i have been way more happy because he chokes against the teams that are good and the teams that are mediocre his level or below he excels in and that's why he's basically a 500 quarterback but really shows out against the teams he's supposed to be and you know, we, we can turn it away from Kirk Cousins right now and move over to the Giants. And this was a team he was supposed to be because that defense is, is still struggling. I think you're right there. The The Giants defense is still struggling. But as we start to move through these game notes, I, I have some takeaways about the about the overall. This had a little bit of that feeling of when the Giants offense, maybe in the, over the last few years under Eli Manning, would struggle and sputter early in the game. And then it leads to the defense being on the field for long periods of time. We can talk about the time of possession in the first half. That burns the defense out. Now, they weren't without their mistakes and without their errors. But again, you know, having that healthy balance early in games is very important. And it's not something that we saw here. And, and you can kind of start to lead us in on that, on that opening drive and what went on for the Vikings there. 
and how really there was an opportunity for the Giants to get up on the right foot in this game. The Vikings had six minutes of the ball to start the game, and they marched the ball down the field. They got it to the Giant 13, mm-hmm. and Dalvin Cook, I mean, what what a renaissance for any fantasy owner that drafted him. Kudos to you. Uh, he's been a guy that you've always thought had flashes of brilliance, and he's been hurt, and he's had some, some trouble, but this year he's been amazing. Lights and out. he Lights. helped. Yeah, I mean, he's he's – He's been tremendous for that team, especially with them not throwing the ball very well. And they got it down the field, and they got it into the red zone. And the Giants' defense, Ben, don't break, got them to a field goal. Yeah, and it's a great initial stop, right? If you're a Giants fan, if you're the Giants' defense, you're thinking, hey, this is perfect. We know that this team has an incredible running attack, and we know that maybe the passing game is going to pick up for them because we have some deficiencies of our own. But Ben, but don't break mentality. We hold him to three, right? So, you know, th- this is where it starts to take. This gets hard for me here. I, I'm not. I don't want to go too long on my own piece. But what what did you see on that first drive? Anything? Any positive takeaways there from outside of stopping them for the field goal? No, not not really. Right. If, I'm, <laughs> if, if, if if I'm blunt or, or honest, yeah. I mean, I mean, I when you have it. when you have a six minute drive, eleven plays, and they get a field goal in the red zone, yeah, Ben, don't break. I, I was I was excited that the Giants didn't give up a touchdown. I said, all right, it's it's Danny Dimes time. Like, let's see if he can do this against a, a really good defense. And uh, the first drive, you know, they have uh, a couple of plays. They they had the ball for about three minutes, and then they punted and. Of course, next time down the field, Dalvin Cook touchdown, and it's ten nothing. And I started sitting there saying, "Oh man, this is this is going to be a long day." Yeah. So I'll actually, and so the quick recap on the Giants' first drive was I thought was a big one under under a little bit of pressure, but Jones has Shepard deep. Shepard puts a great move on the outside. And it's just out of his out of his fingertips, just out of his reach, and it feels like one of those uh oh moments where if you you, you get that catch, you, you get, start to get that rhythm. Maybe you start to get just make the Vikings second guess how they're playing it because the Giants came out in a very positive approach. I thought offensively in terms of what they wanted to try to do, weren't able to execute on it, but they were trying to throw the ball deep. Looked for Shepard, looked for I think Latimer on that opening drive, but the pressure was constant on Jones. And they end up having to punt that away. I, I even, you know, when you're looking for silver linings in games like these, you go ahead and say it was a nice punt from Dixon, and they and they were able to pin pin the Vikings deep. And again, that second drive, you talked about it. Peppers come is coming down in the box for the Giants. He's playing well against. He gets a great tackle against Cook. Again, the defense though know, looks pretty strong. Jenkins gets another uh, another tackle in, but instead, it's a key missed tackle after that. As I think it was Cook came out on a bit of a release. Mayo can't get him. And instead, they they go from there. They move down the field. The front starts to feel a little bit gashed. And I had it right in my notes, man. Third and four, pivotal down. If the Giants can maybe try to hold him here, it's a dot, dot, dot. And I go, 10 nothing. This one can get away in a hurry. So going back to that Shepard missed catch, he was wide open. And yeah. I'm putting you on the spot. Is it the throw? I know Daniel Jones was under pressure and he got hit as it was happening. I know Sterling Shepard tried to make a play on it. But to to me, even still sitting here hours later, I felt like somehow that ball needs to be caught and that's a walk-in touchdown. Do do you you put that on? No, I can't. 
Do you put that I, on I, either I, of them? I, well, I, I no, no. You know what? I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not putting it on either one of them. Actually, like I think it's just a missed opportunity because this. If, if you're calling for a walk-in touchdown, that means that Shepard needs to be a stride, a stride and a half further downfield. Because if he's catching that ball, it's on a full extension, you know, dive out, you know, full extension dive out for a play. And you know, overall in this game, we saw Shepard going over the middle. We saw him max effort laying out. I think even the commentate the commentators on this were saying like this is a guy in the receiving core in general who are hyped up for their young quarterback and are really trying to make every play that they can. I I, I think what it was more than anything was just that the pressure started to get there. As Jones wants to release, and it just throw you know these plays. This you know, give an inch, it's a mile. You know that, that that's the difference between success and failure in the NFL. And that's what I think you saw in that particular play was just he almost he's starting to get hit from from I think the left side. He gets the ball off. It maybe just throws it off a hair, you know. And, and Shepard just can't quite get there. I don't blame anybody for I it, but I, but I want to see the catch. <laughs> I'm a fan. I want to see him yeah. go in for six right there. That. That would that I, I don't know if it would have changed the outcome of the game, but it certainly would have changed the tempo and the way things were going. And uh, it, it was so close to being a great play, and I know those those happen quite frequently, but man, that that would have changed the tone of the game early. Well, and you and you think about it too, you know that they they come back on their next possession, the Giants' next offensive possession, and what do they get? a really big hookup from Jones to Darius Slayton, right? And that that was akin to the same thing you were seeing on the on the possible hookup with Shepard. It's a big chunk play, moves it down the field. The offensive line did enough better than on the first drive opportunity to give him enough time to get that ball off. And this actually is one of the notes that I made at this stage of the game, and it's you know prior to knowing where this one's going to go, but at the very least, I thought this is a, a new Giants team in terms that they didn't cave easy in this one. I know that by the end of it, it's 28-10, and you can kind of feel like, you know, but this isn't a team that threw in the towel at any point, in my opinion. And I think that the resiliency even on that of you come right back, the, the line toughens up, they give you a little bit of protection, you find Slayton downfield, it's a big chunk play, and you get a little bit of an optimistic feel there that this team is going to fight no matter what it feels like early in game. Same sense for you? Yeah, well, the the biggest challenge for me was Darius Slayton catches that touchdown. I say, we're in this game. You know, it's, mm. 10, it's 10-7. We're feeling good. The Vikings go down, kick a field goal, ho-hum, whatever. The defense bends, doesn't break. I mean, they give up four field goals in this game. You know, the interesting thing is, as much as I'm hating on the defense, they give up two touchdowns in this game. It, it, it wasn't like they yeah, yeah. give... It wasn't like they gave up five. They gave up two touchdowns. And it just so happened that they were giving up so many other bend-don't-break plays where, you know, they were kicking field goals. And, it, and you know, we'll, we'll get into it in the second half piece. But obviously, the, the, the biggest turn of events was when Dalvin Cook fumbled the ball right on the goal line and the Giants recovered it. And we were in business. Yeah. This is a step outside piece of the game for me because fantastic play again from Peppers. This guy's a stud. I mean, this is just proof in the pudding that this is a fantastic move. In the totality of moves that Gettleman made, this is a great little nugget to have on your team. I think that he's exactly what this team needs on defense. It's the strip. I love him. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, No, no, I was going to say I love him. I love him. Keep going. So, phenomenal play, guys, already the heart of the defense. 
this is where I take a step back. And listen, I know that you're on your own goal line, but reality check, Pat Shermer. What are you doing running with Hilleman inside your own one-yard line up the gut? Uh, it, th- this, to me, is, is one of two plays that I'll point to as we go through this. This is a brutal play. This is a terrible play call, in my opinion. I don't care if you want to try to roll Jones out of the pocket quickly and see if he can just scoot for a couple yards. I don't care if you want to do a quick throw out to a wide receiver in the flat. But the idea that you're going to run the ball up the gut after a turnover inside your own one, to me, this is a, this is a near inexcusable choice in play call. I don't know about you. I couldn't agree more. And I was sitting on the Fantastic. couch. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I wish I could argue with you and say no. You know, that's you, you got to get a couple yards. Like, listen, if if your goal is to get a yard or two, then you do a QB sneak and you get Daniel Jones another yard or two. And you get second down, and you expect the punt, but you're like, we held them, Ben, don't break. The the mm-hmm. idea that your third string running back, you know, Hillman, Hillman, you know, has some promise. I, I, I like him as a running back, but you, you're not setting him up for success. The I, I was watching it, and, and about two seconds before they're snapping the ball, you can see the full all-out blitz from the Vikings. They are pinning their ears back, and they're saying, we are going to get a safety right now. And if that's the case, yeah. like you said, you got to either roll him out, throw a screen, quick slant. You, you got to do something to give Jones an opportunity to get off the goal line. And it was just such a poor play call. Yeah, and and I'll I'll, I'll ask you the question that I think there's an, is an obvious answer to. But do you do you think that Daniel Jones in that scenario, seeing where the defense is, do you expect him to check out of that play at that point? I don't know if he's even allowed yet to check out of plays. And and, and listen, it yep. is standard when you're right around your one-yard line to run the ball to try to get a couple extra yards of cushion. And so maybe that was the play call, and, and he's happy you know, running that play. I don't, I don't know if he has the ability to change fully out of those. But, I mean, anyone could see with, with like, Two seconds before the snap, they are loading the house, and they're they're not getting more than a yard, and they're probably going to lose yardage, and that is the perfect opportunity to give your rookie quarterback a chance to either roll out or throw a quick slant, and it just didn't happen. And really, that was that's just that's just me kind of setting you up to say that I I don't think that he has the ability to do it uh, to check out of that play, and even if he does, again, it's not the play call that you should be setting him off to start with. That even, you know, so if he doesn't choose to check out of it or you're not allowing him to, you're given little to no chance for success. So that's a, a huge play in the game for me, obviously. We all know safeties then lead to a punt away, and, and that just gives another opportunity for the offense before halftime, which they again capital, capitalize on. You know, we, we touched on it, and I, I thought this was important. But prior to that drive, when the Giants were able to hold them, Lawrence got pressured, got a sack in this one. It, these are situations, and then even after this, after the fumble, uh, I mean, after, yeah, after the fumble, and after they get take the safety, you saw them coming down the field, and Grant Haley had a phenomenal tackle on third down, right? And then Lawrence came back with that sack, and they're able to hold him. But again, it's like you know those quality plays on defense end up being wasted because you're still giving up another field goal because of the safety, and now you're you know it's eighteen to seven going into halftime. But 18-7 to in the halftime, I said, we still got a shot at this. We're two scores out. It's not, it's not the end of the world, 
right? We're 18-7 at 11 points. We came back against the Buccaneers. We've done this before. And mm -hmm. right, at, right out of halftime, we come down. We have a nice seven-minute drive. It's 15 plays. The Giants move the ball down the field. And I'm excited what I see. They're moving the ball. They're picking up third downs, third and shorts. And we get a field goal. And right out of the gate, we're down 18-10. And I said to myself, we're down one score. Like, this is the type of game that we may be able to steal away from them. Yes, however, if I, like, I, I, this is difficult because coming into this one, I was the one that picked the Giants to pull the upset kind of in this game. Uh, you know, obviously we come short on that. However, I thought they looked great to start the second half. I loved the up-tempo. They were keeping personnel on the field for the Vikings by hustling up to the line. I thought Shepard was, again, proving his worth. I, I rump a pum pum I love that I said it last week because now it can become a little theme for us. Shepard really is. I think he is establishing himself as 100% legitimate number one wide receiver in the league. Thank you, Adam. He has a great... Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, uh, somebody mentioned that to me, but I, it was a friend of mine, someone else. I couldn't even think of who it was. But, he, you know, so he looks great on the drive. However, and this is a great tie-in, this is later in the game that I think uh, that Cousins connects with Thielen back of the end zone for a touchdown. Jones has Shepard for the touchdown, right? He has him for that, and he overthrows it. And Shepard can't come down with it. I know that it was a positive drive and you get the field goal. But as soon as we had to take that field goal, after a penalty on the defense, after we got a second set of first and goals to go, I, I, I really, in, in my gut, was, yeah, that's not going to cut it. You had to come out. You had to get that touchdown. I know it was 18-10. But 17-18, and then you, we can start to get into how that play and that sequence there impacts the game as it moves along. That was tough. That was tough to see. And, yes, I agree with everything that he, that you said there. The, the problem is, to me, you know, when they go in for – for the for the touchdown afterwards it kind of seals the deal i kind of look at the the safety and you know the subsequent field goal i'm like all right we give up a couple points here or there when they come down they score the touchdown it's 25 10 i'm looking for the giants to to really go in and score because i still think it's a game you know we're we're midway through the third quarter and the Giants get the ball, and they start marching it down. And they're fourth and mm -hmm. two at the Minnesota three. And they can't score. And to me, I, I kind of walked away and grabbed a beer from the fridge and said, hmm, I'm not feeling this anymore. I want to hunt my notes here because I'm pretty sure my second egregious play call selection comes around that fourth down. But if I want to go broad, this is why I think that first drive out of the second half was an issue to take a field goal there. Because what ends up happening is you come down that next drive, but Vikings have scored. Now you're down 25-10. If it's 25-14 at that point, you're going to take the field goal there, and it's going to be 25-17. And then on the following possession, again, they go for it and don't get there, and there's at least another field goal opportunity. So now you're talking about instead of it being 25-10, it's 25-14, 25-17, 25-20. Now you're now you're right in the thick of it, and I and I don't 
I don't disagree with going for it there because at that point at 25-10, you can see the writing on the wall. We need to make a bit of a move here at some point. So I'm okay with him going for it. But the misconnection, we talked about that early pass. Was anyone responsible? No. Jones and you know Jones and Shepard, it's a combination of things. They don't connect. But that second one, it, it's it's a young it's a young play for the rookie, but Jones misses an open Shepard on that play. And that, that to me, is, is a pretty big turning point. When we talk about when the Giants had it at 4th and 2 at the Minnesota 3, and the game is 25-10, to 10, I sat there, and as a fan, yeah. you go, go for it, go for it, because you want to be down one score. You want that. But in reality, it, 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 it was a very tough tough decision for Pat Shermer, and I get why he went for it. But the problem was, like, the, the couple of plays that he ran before that, you know, he had a short one to Rhett Ellison, you know, for mm-hmm. a couple yards that I don't think anyone thought was going to be a good play. It was literally like, let's just get four yards on this. And I don't know, like when you're in the 10-yard line, like let's let's find a way to get in the end zone, right? And, you know, then they run the ball in second down with Penny, who is our third fourth string running back and now all of a sudden it's third and two and you're you're trying to figure out how jones can can make things happen and he has an incomplete pass to evan ingram fine fourth down they they keep him in the pocket and he gets sacked before he even has an opportunity to throw the ball and i was so frustrated it just felt like that whole progression was not good like why are we throwing a four-yard out route on first and, and, and ten? Like, let's try to get a touchdown now because we need it. And you can you can argue whether – I mean, no, no. do you think – you think do you, do you feel like they could have taken a field goal there and said, listen, it's still early enough, it's 25, 13, 12 points, we still got a lot of time? Or were you okay with that? There's a combination of elements around this. The one, the one aspect was – and it's not really a knock on Ingram because, listen, he was taking some hard hits. But there's a number of balls that I thought, you know, Shepard took some pretty hard hits on and was making the catches. And Ingram was kind of struggling just to hold on to that ball. I kind of had flashes of early in his career. And, and that's that, that's, a, that's a minor footnote. And I, I think you just want to see him bring in at least one or two of those out of maybe four where it was, you know, high traffic areas. I hate the play calling around that situation. I think that, you know, to not have a selection of plays in your back pocket that you know you go to that feel like guarantee conversions is a big miss. And even at that point, because I think to your to your question, yeah, they probably even could have taken a field goal there, right? Because, you know, the thing about not converting for a touchdown initially, okay, you take the field goal. But then every time that you go for it, the next time that you get down there with a chance to score points – all of a sudden it becomes a reflection on that previous drive, right? Because then instead of being 25-13, it's still 25-10. Instead of being 28-16, it's still 28-10. Well, and to your point, they go for it, they don't get it, and then the Vikings punt and the Giants march down the field again. They get it to the Vikings' 23-yard line, and at that point, they're like, well, we're already pot committed to this whole idea of having to score a touchdown because it's a two-score game. We got to go mm-hmm. for it again. And they go for it again, mm-hmm. fourth and 12 from the from the Minnesota 12, and they don't get it. And and it's frustrating because if you think about and, it, if they – and hindsight's 20-20, but you, you take the field goal at the, at the two-yard line, you take the field goal – 
at the 27 or 28, wherever they were, all of a sudden it's 25, mm-hmm. 16. And, and at least it's the third quarter. We have some opportunities to do what we need to do. And, and w- once I didn't get that, it, it was, they, they were just chasing points. Like you said. And I mean, you know, for me, the other, like the other big note here in terms of just the overall play of the team, again, I'm actually, I know that you can look at the stats and you can beat up the defense. I, I really, I, the defense played their butts off to me. I think the defense stuck their nose in there time and time again. I think the offensive front, I mean, sorry, the, our defensive front really did a good job of at least putting some pressure on Cousins, making him make plays. Secondary looks, looked okay. You know, there's a bad break on a nice sack when Jenkins gets called for the face mask, mask penalty. There's another bad play where, I mentioned before, you know, Baker takes the bad angle. There's these little things like that. But for me, offensive side of the ball, you know, I feel like I'll say this way too many times in this one, but, it, you know, one giant reality, Nate Soldier is not an elite tackle, and I don't think anyone's suggesting that he is, but every time we go up against high-end pass rushers, he's a turnstile on that left side, and that's where the pressure was coming time and time again. With about four or five minutes to go in the game, the Giants had given up 28 points on defense with zero turnovers from the offense. And yeah. for, for for me, yeah, they gave up two touchdowns, but they could not get off the field. They gave up four field goals. They were consistently just giving up big chunk plays to Adam Thielen. And I don't wholeheartedly and entirely give this loss to the Giant defense because, you know, D- Daniel Jones kind of showed his, his you know, rookie standing where he – Okay, wait, 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 but wait, wait, hold, hold on a second here. Hold on a second here. The Giants have three sacks in this game. They have a strip fumble on the offense going into score. You can tell me that they, they, I, I get it. The balls get moved up and down the field on them. But like you said, you gave up, end up giving 28 points, and you can say whether or not the Vikings could have scored more if they had to. You held the Vikings to 18 points in the first half. You had a strip fumble in the first half that you recover. You took seven points off the board for this offense. I, I'm sorry. Like I, I know that the yardage is there, but the, the, the to me this game is more on the offense than it is on the defense. How many points do the Giants need to give to uh, give up to the Vikings for you to feel comfortable for the Giants to win against the Vikings? If I told you the Vikings put up 28 points and there would be only one interception or one turnover by the offense, what would you say? That, that's fine, but again, this goes back to Giants games of years past where, no, our defense is not our strength. But, when, again, when you only score 10 points in a game, when you when you go down in the opening drive of the second half and you take that field goal, you know, you go down and score that first touchdown, it, it, makes, the, it, it makes the Vikings take a step back. It makes them rethink how they're going to approach that next drive, and you don't know where it plays out from there. I don't have the time of possession up in front of me of the first half, but they got absolutely dominated. The defense was gassed by halftime, and I get it. It's on them to get off the field. But the offense did them zero favors in terms of occupying the time, changing the field, you know, changing position of the field for the defense. I, I understand what you're saying. What, you know, what's the number? But, okay, what's the number of points that the Giants need to score on offense in order to make you feel like, okay, yeah, defense, if you could, if the defense held held the Vikings to 21 instead of 28, the Giants should be, the Giants should be winning that game. 
This is far more about, again, I'll point out Soldier on the offense. I don't like the way he plays against high-end talent. I get it. He can still be a, he's still a solid tackle, but it's an issue because he gets turned around constantly. And I understand that we're down. By the way, I'll, I'll take a step back from who's responsible for it and say, when you lose Goldman, your backup running back immediately in this game, which we glossed over a little bit, and then you turn it over to Hilleman, who I do like, and to Elijah Penny, but automatically you saw offense gets away from that scheme, uh, that plan of running the ball, and they start to try to gimmick their way to quote-unquote running yards. You know, I, the offense was under a ton of d- duress in this game, but I still look at it and say, Pat Shermer, you need to scheme at least sustainable drives that allows the defense to recuperate, to think about adjustments they want to make, and try to come out and execute it. You cannot have them on the field the way they did in the first half because then by the time the second half comes around, all of their efforts are for naught because you can see it coming that this, this defense is going to get gassed and they're going to continue to start to get gashed deeper and deeper. And that, that's a rant for our podcast, and I apologize. Well— Listen, you're right to make that rant. The, the problem is the Giants scored 10 points, but they had two that were lost on downs where they were in field goal range or at the goal line where they could have put a point. Right, fine. Give, it, give them 16 points. I still don't care. Still not enough. Right, right. but it, it wasn't enough. And you're right. Listen, the, the offense needed to do better, and this was the first time that Daniel Jones showed that he was really a rookie quarterback. They had a couple times. They could have had a couple more points, but yeah, at the end of the at the end of the game, the off the offense didn't play well enough to win. The defense played okay, but still twenty you know twenty eight points no, twenty six on their part was not was not enough. Listen, when you give up a career day to, to Dalvin Cook, which is what he had uh, in terms of yardage, I, I I get it. And listen, to take a step back from it, you know, big picture is. Like you say, we didn't play well enough to win this one. It's a frustrating one. Having taken having having taken a breath here, I will say it was kind of nice to get hot under the collar for the first time on the podcast. I didn't know when it was going to happen for me, but it, but it just did. You you were feeling the defense. You're giving them a little bit of love. I'm still very upset and frustrated about them. So it'll be you know what? It'll be interesting when the Patriots roll into town. How, how you you feel after this? Let's take a little break here. I'll try to, I don't know. I don't, I'm not into Xanax or Valium, but maybe a little Goose Frobble will calm me down. And then we're going to dive into a new topic and a new area for this podcast. One giant ranking. So we're actually going to move away from our usual giant update here because it'll be a short week and we're going to try to touch in on that maybe at some point. But we thought that this might be a good time. Andy brought this to my attention. We're now three full starts into Daniel Jones' career. We've seen him show some highs, show some flashes. We've also seen him make what we all know to be rookie mistakes. Big picture here, here, Andy. How do you feel about Daniel Jones right now? Where do you see him in this NFL quarterback landscape after three games? Well... Let's not talk about what we see for the future in terms of longevity, uh, you know, over the course of the career. I mean, that's for another podcast. Let's talk about something more uh, realistic. If you have a quarterback that you need to make the playoffs with for this year on whatever team, I, I thought it was interesting to think about watching Daniel Jones throw the ball. I was I was thinking... Wow, he's 
he's actually pretty good. He seems pretty poised, and I like where he is. And that, and I thought, I like him better than X. And I said one guy's name off the top of my head, and I don't mean to beat up on Andy Dalton, but I said, I like him better than Andy Dalton right now, right out of the gate, if I need to win a game right now. And it, it brought me to the idea of right now, you need to win this year, make the playoffs this year. Where would you rank Daniel Jones? And so, I'm Adam, I'm going to give you a, a couple guys, and I, I want you to tell me whether or not you rank Daniel Jones right now, win now, win next week, uh, and, okay. and, and hit me with your initial thoughts. So, uh, I, I thought Andy Dalton, first one, right out of the gate. Yeah, that's an easy uh, that's an easy checked box for me. I'd say yes. And now, I'll give a caveat as we as we dive into this. I, I, lo- I love I love coming to this topic at, at this point of the season that you do have a track record with some of these other players that I think is hard for me to totally detach from. But I'm trying to think about this season and what I'm what I've seen from some of these other quarterbacks. I'm a yes over Andy Dalton. That that, that that's a yes for You're me. You're a yes on Andy Dalton. Okay, perfect. So. Well, I- Oh, I'm taking Daniel Jones over Andy Dalton, just right. to be clear. Okay, how about, how about this? How about Mitchell Trubisky? Oh, I, I'm Joe. Um, you know, coming into the season, I I, I would have been like, oh, I think you know Trubisky is going in the right direction. So early early returns on this season, I would probably go Jones over Trubisky at this point mm. as well. Okay, yeah. So I'm looking around here. This is an interesting one out in Oakland. Derek Carr. There's no question in my mind that I take Daniel Jones over Derek Carr. I mean, we've had at least a few years of seeing what Derek Carr can do. And yes, he, he, Mm -hmm. he had a great game against the bears today, but long term, I mean like this, this, this entire season, I'm taking Daniel Jones for his ability to extend plays and and the way that he reads coverages. I mean, uh, Josh Jacobs of the Oakland Raiders looks like the star of that team this year. He was, they're giving the ball 15, 20 times a game, and he's pummeling a rock. So, for me, I'm taking Daniel Jones over Derek Carr. How about a guy like uh, – I'm trying to get a barometer. How about a guy like uh, Jared Goff? Uh, so, so right now I would still take Goff over Jones just because he's gotten to the Super Bowl, and, and while yep. he has a lot of weapons and he has what I think is a better coach in McVay than Shermer, I'd still take Goff over him. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to debate that. I think everyone that's not a giant fan would laugh at even the thought of that debate, but I think it's closer than everyone else would think. Yeah, it's probably, I would agree, tend to agree that maybe it's trending in a closer direction than you would have thought. Uh, but this is, ooh, this is exciting. This is I've got plenty of them for you. I, I think mm-hmm. we can, we can safely say that there's a couple guys that we would absolutely take daniel jones over that person i think right you would take daniel jones over marcus Mariota. yeah you would take daniel jones over josh rosen right now yeah so th- there are a handful of quarterbacks where you already move him in you know he started three games i think he's in this kind of echelon where it's maybe blasphemous for other people but he's in that 15 to 20 range already where if I were to ask you, would you rather have, uh, for instance, I don't know, Jacoby Brissett or Daniel Jones? Hmm. 
that's a nice comparison because Brissett's been around, but it's also now he's he's now the starter there. Mm. I wonder if it's hard to separate the you know the future from the present on that one. Uh, I happen I, I actually happen to like I actually am pretty high on Brissett, so that's actually a tight one for me. In, in my opinion, I'd be I'd be that'd be a bit of a push for me probably. I I think Brissett's a good quarterback, but he's been around for a couple years. I take I take Daniel Jones right now, but you look at. Uh, the the reason why I think this is an interesting discussion is you guys you have Mitchell Trubisky you have Andy Dalton you have Marcus Mariota you have Josh Rosen you have Gardner Minshew which is a great story but I would still take Daniel Jones over Gardner Minshew in a second right yeah Garoppolo out out in San Francisco you have Garoppolo who hasn't really played well but his team is winning you've got Jameis Winston who is looking better under Bruce Arians but I, I don't know he he's he's a couple of interceptions. Uh, from being benched again for someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah. you know Mason Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, or Dwayne Haskins. R- right, <laughs> you, you would take him. Uh, you know, you take yeah. him over them. You take him over Mason Rudolph, who got hurt today. You, th- there's so many guys you take him over, and all of a sudden, Daniel Jones, who was you know the sixth pick in the draft, who everyone said this guy's a bust. Now you, you would probably take him over ten guys in the league that are starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and you know. Uh, I, I think the, the, the most interesting one, and we can end on this one, is right now, after a few games in the season, the Giants are 2-3, and three, it's five games in. If there was a redraft, do you think Kyler Murray would go number one over Daniel Jones? <sighs> well, and you, the only caveat to this kind of stuff is, like, even the Rosen piece, which, like, as a, as a personality, there clearly seems to be a lot of issues there with him. But it's also about the team that they're on. I think you know all these teams are are, are kind of bad, right? Arizona, we're struggling. Same, obviously Miami. Good lord! But I, for for me personally, even not as a Giants fan, I would be of the mindset to go with Jones because he's shown from the pocket the the mental aspect the going through progressions the crisp passing and maybe one of the knocks on him allegedly in the coming out of the draft was arm strength which I think he's also shown is a non-issue at the NFL level so uh, uh, Daniel Jones right now probably has the appearance of a more complete quarterback that being said Kyler Murray you know is that dynamic kind of guy I mean yeah I probably can't let my Giants fandom get away from it. I'd probably say Jones, but is that are you are you leading me to say Jones, or are you actually a Kyler Murray guy on this one? I, I think it's an interesting discussion to have. You know, the Giants were killed for taking Daniel Jones, and admittedly, I was critical of the draft pick, and they said, you know what, he might be the most pro ready quarterback in the draft. We we like his size, we like his measurables, we think we can work with him. You know, Kyler Murray has been good, not great on a bad team. You know, he's he's thrown for, uh, you know, 173 yards uh, against the Carolina Panthers. He threw for 253 with no touchdowns today against Cincinnati. Like he's he's good, but if you're telling me, you know, five ten and a guy that's mobile air raid out of the pocket or a prototypical quarterback that's shown that he can make the throws. I'm starting to think that maybe Daniel Jones is a better alternative than Kyler. Well, and I think, so this is probably also the mis- not misleading element of it, but 
Daniel Jones, even for where he was taken, what it, it, the, the commentary was, maybe the most pro-ready guy in terms of complete set of tools, the intellect, the mental side of the game. So you would expect in a lot of ways for him to show well early in his career. And then for a lot of these other players, it is going to be about how they develop through their rookie season and how they progress in different areas. You know, the guy that comes to mind is Lamar Jackson in uh, Baltimore, right? Coming out of last season, even going into last season, this guy can't throw the ball. It's only about his legs. You know, it's not never going to work out. He's going to be that uh, scat player they bring in to complement Flacco. They move on from Flacco. Right, and Lamar Jackson has looked—he's looked legitimate this year, and he's—and he's shown that he can throw the ball. It doesn't mean that he's a perfect quarterback, but he's shown that he has that ability, and that's year one to year two. So, I like the debate, Andy. I like to—I like to stir the pot a little bit, but I think a lot of this stuff is maybe—I think we should revisit this. I think we should revisit this at the end of the season, and I, and I think it'll be interesting to see where we stack Jones up relative to some of these other guys, and I think you know this may be one of the first things that we could do as we gear up for just other elements that we want to include in our podcast, we can maybe kind of rank where we see quarterbacks right now. And then we can come back to this end of the end of the year and see how many of these young guys have maybe leaped some of those veteran players that, that we're so used to talking about. And, and the giants are kind of realizing that right now. I think when we made the switch from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones, it, it was kind of at a necessity and Daniel Jones brought a spark and, some of these teams mm-hmm. just kind of sit with these quarterbacks who have been around for 10 or 12 years that have the name recognition or have been good for quite a while. And sometimes you got to pull the bandaid off to get better. And there may be some learning curves or bumps in the road, but it's just interesting to me. And this was something that we talked about right before the podcast is Daniel Jones has only played three games yet. There's roughly, you know, out of the gate, I think 10 quarterbacks out of the 32 that you would already, for this year, win now, pick over Daniel Jones, which I find interesting. Yeah, yeah. And and Eli Manning being the Band-Aid that we had to rip off, and I've said it before, I think, on this podcast, I just, I I always was a homer for him, and I probably always will be. But when you, if we ask this same question about him, and regardless of age or whatever, just, you know, where would you take him? He'd be a lot further down down the list of quarterbacks that you would look at, right? You look a lot of these young guys over Eli Manning at this point, and it is the youth of Daniel Jones, right? The the upside of Daniel Jones that makes him an appealing pick in this in this kind of debate. Joe Flacco is is was in a similar situation where you know he was sitting there. He wasn't. Oh God, I hate that too. He wasn't the root cause of all the problems uh, of Baltimore, but they, you know, benched him for Lamar. They they looked exciting. They traded him away, and and he's he's doing okay. You know, he got a got a win today uh, on the road against the Chargers. But it, it, it's the same thing when you rip the band off. Okay, well, wait, 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 wait. But but like Eli Manning is a he is was a better quarterback than Joe Flacco, right? Like you, we agree on that. Like, Flacco finishes out this season and he retires or whatever. Like, whatever his career ends up being, he's not going to win another Super Bowl. I know that much. Like, their careers. Eli Manning's a better quarterback. Eli Manning, through his career, was a slightly better quarterback than Joe Flacco. But right now, Joe Flacco is still throwing the ball around and winning games for the Broncos. I mean, he won a game. But, uh, but I mean... At, at least he's winning games on the road against uh, against the Chargers. He's still 
No, I, okay, but well, yeah, but okay, but put Daniel Jones on the Denver Broncos, right? Denver Broncos draft Daniel Jones in the draft, and they have Joe Flacco. Daniel Jones is starting in Denver by now. He is. The only reason why the only reason why Flacco is still starting is because the the, the kid that they drafted they don't see, they didn't see as being a kid, uh, someone they wanted to put into the starting role in his rookie season. They want to avoid that as long as possible. Yeah, Drew, Drew Locke needs yeah. a little bit more time. He, Drew Locke, he's thank not you. the yeah. he's not the guy yet. But what what I'm saying is, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily talking about. The quarterback moving to another team could Eli be on a different team and maybe uh, be the quarterback manager? He could. He he's not he's not done by any means in terms of being a star quarterback. But the Giants, the way that they're built right now and their offensive line being good, not great, okay, not oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you need yeah. a mobile quarterback that can make plays, and it's exciting to 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 feel something. I mean, I haven't felt like the Giants had an opportunity to win games and be above 500 in a few years. And it's because of Daniel Jones. Do you feel, do you feel alive, Andy? Do you just feel alive right now? I, I listen, I feel alive. A little, a little bit of mustard from this guy. This is, you know, ripping off the bandaid. There's a bandaid still partially hanging on me right now. And his name is Eli Manning. So I, you know, we don't have to, I know, I know this is something that people aren't going to be clamoring for, uh, for Eli Manning discussion. So we can, we can move away from it. I think that, that's a, I think this is a great topic to kind of feather through this season. It'll be fun to kind of check back in on it and see kind of the ups and downs, not only of Daniel Jones, but of these young quarterbacks throughout the league. And specific to the Giants, 100%, it was about it's the right time to make a move for what this team is right now and for what you're hoping to accomplish over the next probably couple of seasons. These reps, these experiences, they're all important, and that's going to include for Daniel Jones a quick turnaround to take on uh, our old friends, Bill Belichick and the, the New England Patriots. Hey there, folks. This is Adam Armbrecht interrupting Adam Armbrecht, as well as Andy Makowitz. Normally, we'd be diving into the New England Patriots matchup, However, as I come to you from a co-working space in Ubud, a little bit of traffic in the background, there's a reason to this madness. You've heard us talk about the Vikings game. We've also taken a look at Daniel Jones and maybe where he ranks in the QB spectrum of this NFL season. We want to hear from you on that. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you have a quarterback in mind and you think we were just insane to suggest Jones could be above? Get after us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, One Giant Podcast. We want to hear from you. Head over to your favorite podcast downloading platform, like, subscribe, and if you can, leave us a rating. It helps us climb the charts and, and really means a lot to us. And on Thursday morning, check back in for the second part of our podcast where we'll dive into that matchup against the Patriots and we'll also talk about the betting line, the over-under, and a little bit of fantasy news as well. And we'll catch up with you a little bit down the road on one giant podcast.